Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Muriwa Gavaza, and for today we get into a discussion around, um, you know, an interesting topic, and that is uh, mobile money um, across the world, but specifically on uh, the African continent, just to understand what's going on um, in the market, in the sector. When we talk about mobile money, we're talking about mobile payments, mobile wallets, and uh, a whole host of other services um, that uh, a number of uh, financial players um, have uh, been introducing. A lot of that revolution has been led by mobile operators. You can think of uh, the likes of uh, Safaricom, you know, over in uh, in Kenya, uh, Vodacom and MTN, you know, with their operations across the continent, uh, Econet in Zimbabwe, and, you know, many others like Airtel. And uh, just that ability to to increase financial inclusion um, you know in South Africa I think uh, we often talk about the rate of banking sitting at around uh, 80 or so percent whereas in the rest of the continent the last number that I heard was that uh, levels of banking was sitting closer to about 35 percent on average and uh, mobile money has really come through in a number of different aspects to help people uh, to get in um, when it comes to financial services so to help us to to understand what's going on in the market, we're joined by Ashley Olson Onyango, who is uh, the head of financial inclusion and uh, agritech over at GSMA. GSMA is an industry body for the com- uh, telecommunications sector, and we're going to be having you know just that discussion. They recently put out uh, their mobile money report uh, just to understand what's going on over in the market. Ashley, greetings to you today. Hi, thanks for having me, Madiwa. Thank you so much, uh, you know, for being with us, uh, you know, for today. I think a good place to start before getting into uh, mobile money is maybe GSMA. I've said industry body around uh, telecommunications, but for those that uh, may not be familiar with your organization. Yeah, great. So the GSMA is the Global Telecommunications Association. Um, We represent the interests of approximately 750 mobile network operators around the globe uh, and also have about 450 associate members. So those are other folks engaging with the mobile ecosystem, your Googles, your Huawei's, Ericsson's of the world, Visa and MasterCard as well. Um, So within the GSMA, we have a specific unit, if you will, or department that's really focused on mobile for development. So working with mobile network operators to leverage the innovation and technology and scale of the mobile network operators to drive socioeconomic impact. Uh, And that's where we um, house most of our mobile money work. All right. Now, I like the fact that, uh, you know, you've given us that insight because it shows that you guys are representing a number of operators across the globe and you guys are uh, the global industry body. So you have that global view um, just around uh, where telecoms is going. And there's this uh, common adage that we have, at least here in um, in this part of the world where we talk about uh, telecoms companies are trying to be like banks and banks are trying to become like telecoms companies uh so we wanted to get your take uh when it comes to mobile money one of the things that is quite apparent is the fact that mobile money has really done well 
on the African continent. And um, just noting some of the graphs and figures from your report, um, some of the top countries that you that keep being referenced is places like Nigeria, places like Kenya, and then your South uh, Southeast uh, Asian countries like Indonesia, like India, uh, Pakistan, and the like. So I wanted to get your sense. Does mobile money have a place in developed markets or is this one of those things that is just an emerging market sort of play that it's just better suited to these types of conditions where you have, um, you know, low levels of banking or, you know, could we see it, you know, penetrating the developed markets at some point? Interesting question. Um, It's certainly one we don't get asked a lot. Uh, And I think it's, you know, it's food for thought. There's innovation happening globally within the telecommunication sector, within the fintech sector, the banking sector. Um, So certainly there's opportunity to explore it. I think what's important is to recognize that, you know, mobile money was developed to address a very specific gap in in the financial services market. And this was essentially trans you know having a way to transfer money securely safely and immediately from urban to rural or rural to urban markets uh within a particular country it really started as a you know peer-to-peer service making sure that cash could move around a country in a very quick and efficient and affordable way it has exploded since then, right? Like the the numbers of use cases and what it's achieving and addressing. But the idea was that the banking sector had not, uh, you know, didn't have the footprint and penetration into the rural markets. And so there was no other formal way for rural populations to, to have a formal financial service. And mobile money came in and served that gap, plugged that hole. We don't see that as much in developed markets. So I think if mobile network operators are looking to make a play in fintech um, in more developed markets, they have to think about their value proposition very differently because they they won't have the same value proposition. But we're seeing, you know, entirely digital banks like your Monzos, your TransferWise that are, you know, not setting up brick and mortar institutions. And I think that, you know, when you look at that, you, one could definitely argue and think that there's probably a space for uh, mobile network operators to play, given the success that they've had in emerging markets. Um, but whether or not they kind of decide to tap into that uh, innovation or into that sector, I guess, is is to be um, to be seen. You know, actually, one of the reasons why I'm asking that question is because when you look at uh, places like the U.S., Right. Um, there does seem to be some appetite uh, for for these types of things. I think about the rise of uh, platforms such as Cash App mm-hmm. um, or Venmo. And I always wonder, what is the difference really between what those platforms are doing and what uh, a Safaricom is doing with Impesa? Because you're still doing your peer-to-peer payments um, and the like, or have we just given a different name to the same application? Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And a lot of it will come down to regulation as well. So the regulation, the licensing required to be in, you know, to um, be an e-money service and, you know, however that looks. And, you know, I think it's a really good point because there's like Zelle in the U.S., but that's connected to a bank account, right? So it's not really 
you know, uh, solving that issue. You have PayPal even that does, you know, digital transfers, but it's connected through, you know, you set up an account through an email. So the, I think the innovation there is if someone can use their phone number to create an account that then is how, you know, they operate and transfer all their funds through that uh, mobile network or uh, mobile phone number. The other interesting thing is a lot of these are over the top, right? So it's it's based on internet connection. It's an app that has nothing to do with your GSM uh, uh, connection, whereas mobile money was really critical in offering a USSD option for making transactions. And that was in incredibly useful and necessary for mobile money's growth because today i mean we still see upwards of 90 percent of transactions being done through ussd despite the fact that we've seen immense growth in connectivity and people using internet having access to data affordable data it is still a huge use case and so that same again that same value proposition is not going to necessarily be there in a more developed market where more people are connected more people are using internet more frequently no it's it certainly does work in that way and uh you know, as someone who grew up in Zimbabwe myself, um, I can definitely attest to um, how, uh, you know, mobile money is, you know, very useful and especially just being able to use your simple feature phones, you know, and, and uh, short codes and USSD, very easy, no need for an app. Um, and you're able to just uh, send mm -hmm. that value, um, you know, across, uh, you know, across uh, people and especially just uh, making transactions at shops, sending money to friends families and uh, you know transactions and the like so one of the things that you just mentioned now is i guess uh, when differentiating between all of these services is you know licensing regimes um you know the fact that here you're using a phone number as opposed to a bank account and email and all that i wanted to touch quite a bit on um, the regulation part um, of uh, your mobile money services. We've always known financial services as a whole is one of the most regulated industries across the world. That's, um, you know, that is not even up for debate or question. Uh, but when it comes to mobile money, it does seem as if a number of countries, particularly on the African uh, continent, have uh, started introducing, you know, new regimes around uh, taxes, levies, uh, transaction fees, you know, you know, and stuff like that. So just your thoughts just around how um, your um, how regulation is, I guess, cropping up and uh, the nature within which because um, in South Africa we've got uh, you know two very big operators that is MTN and Vodacom and Vodacom has actually been quite vocal to say that um, regulators on the continent you know need to be quite cognizant of how they go about uh, regulating the space and uh, trying to trying to make money um, you know when it comes to this particular space don't make it punitive uh, don't make uh, don't don't take out the incentive, the thing that already makes it an attractive, the cheapness of the platform. Don't make it too expensive. Yeah, so just your thoughts around that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're seeing a lot of uh, fiscal policies that are coming in to essentially exploit a very easy target, right? Digital transactions. There's uh, a lot of clear data. It's easy to report on these transactions and these movements. Um, 
And the problem is that it doesn't have a long-term vision. It's it's a very short-term policy solution to fill a budgetary gap or to bring in, you know, revenue for, for different priorities. But what it's doing is it's really worsening the financial exclusion and exacerbating a poor economic situation. Um, and and a lot of these markets have national financial inclusion strategies. So they have a you know, objective towards financial inclusion within their markets. And then they create these fiscal policies that are in direct um, misalignment with, with the policies. And so, you know, one of the things we're trying to advocate for and support governments on is to better understand the longer term vision of how mobile money can support their fiscal policies, their economic policies, um, and really trying to show as well with evidence the impact that, you know, for instance, the recent levies in Ghana or Tanzania, we're actually able to go to them and say, you know, over the last three months after since this levy has been introduced or after the last six months, we can see a, a stark decline in mobile money usage. Um, which is, you know, making the case that some of the world or some of their um, countries most vulnerable, most poor, who turn to mobile money as their only source of financial services from formal financial services, they're starting to revert to cash, which is not good for anybody, right? Uh, mobile money helps accelerate um, the economy. It helps to support small and medium-sized growing businesses. And so there's a real message around the longevity of what mobile money can do. And if we maintain a really affordable payments option for for the poor, for those in lower income population to see greater economic um, improvements. And, you know, so so we're trying to bring that evidence. We're trying to show regulators and have good discussions with them. We're also doing some work on our part uh, this year to look at the correlation between mobile money and uh, macroeconomic indicators. So looking at job growth, looking at GDP growth and seeing if we can pull out some correlation because we have great evidence over the last five, six, seven, eight years. If we can start to see some of that and make a really great case for that long term impact that a country can achieve through supporting the mobile money industry rather than kind of taking the easy taxes through through quick uh, fiscal policy changes, you know, we're hoping to make more inroads in, in building that long term vision with regulators. Uh, I did note um, uh, on your point uh, about uh, the short term versus the long term um, thinking around this matter, I did note from the report that um, you, your organization um, picks out COVID-19 and the pandemic as being a huge accelerator towards, um, I guess, a more punitive type of uh, thinking around mobile taxes because yeah, you had a lot of fiscal deficits, a lot of governments trying to raise money, and they look at something like mobile money and say, ah, these guys are making billions from this thing we could possibly, you know, get a piece of that, try to fix some of our own national accounts. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, we saw we saw changes during COVID to support the adoption and acceleration of digital payments, right? Even price regulations, zero rating, certain fees, um, which, you know, certainly helped bring people into the mobile money e ecosystem um, and helped, you know, kind of ease some of that immediately to use those digital payments um, structures. But the, the problem is that, you know, 
by by putting on these policies and restrictions, taxing mobile money, it's essentially making it unaffordable for the majority of users and their only option is to revert to cash. And that's not good for anyone. And I think that, you know, as we engage with regulators, they're starting to see that, you know, they understand why it's important that people use digital um, financial services and how that can help the economy, how that can help users. And so it's it's about finding aligned and shared objectives and trying to find the best way to promote those together. Now, most certainly, we hope that there will be yeah, a lot more progress on that front and especially um, reaching that common ground between uh, your mobile operators mm-hmm. and um, your governments because um, that had always been the attractive piece um, of, uh, of mobile money to say that it's the, it's the, it's the cost factor right, that, that works, that works in the low costs and anything that increases the cost, especially on the side of consumers and and the users is, you know, probably not the best um, for people that are trying to address uh, that issue of uh, financial inclusion. And I guess tied to that, then very interested in the opportunity, right? Because uh, when you're thinking about financial inclusion, when you're thinking about uh, mobile money, you now I wanted to pick on you know the long-term thinking piece that you that you mentioned just now, um, because there was that rise, 1.4 billion people. Uh, is it, I don't know. Maybe let me use the exact language. 1.4 billion uh, mobile money accounts now up to 1.6 billion and um, as gsma you guys have identified that you know there's still an opportunity for about 800 uh, 800 million or so that opportunity is it on the continent is it the rest of the world is it places like asia where do you see that opportunity yeah, we're still seeing really high financial exclusion rates in Africa and South Asia. Um, so that's where I would see the biggest opportunity for us um, as a mobile money industry to really address. I mean, there's 1.4 billion people who still lack um, access to a formal financial account, uh, with the majority of those being in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. So that's, you know, that's certainly where we see a lot of opportunity. That's where we have, uh, you know, the greatest mobile money penetration and um, prevalence. So that's, that's a big focus for us. All right. And because, you know, we are based in South Africa, people would want to, you know, understand, uh, you know, anything that you have to share. Uh, Obviously, you guys are looking at this on a huge global level, uh, but uh, it is interesting the fact that uh, two of the biggest operators when it comes to mobile money on the continent are Vodacom and MTN. And I think between them, they have easily 110, 120 million um, accounts, you know, mobile money accounts between them, but their businesses have done way better outside of their home country than uh, in the rest in than in the rest of the continent. Yeah, so South Africa is a really interesting market for us, and, and like you said, I mean, two of you know two of the big players are headquartered in in South Africa. Um, and yet it is not one of our biggest uh, markets for mobile money penetration. But but to the credit of South Africa, I mean, your financial inclusion rate is quite high, particularly in relation to a lot of your neighbors. So it's at 85 percent, um, which means there's, you know, approximately six million um, 
South Africans who don't have access to formal financial accounts. So it's certainly worth pursuing and worth figuring out a way to get those six million onto a platform where they can access formal financial services. But the, you know, when we've kind of looked at South Africa as a as a, as a market, the banking penetration was much uh, more prevalent, much uh, more pervasive throughout the country much earlier on. So when, you know, when M-Pesa was kind of starting to kick into the market and other mobile money services, South Africa's banking uh, sector was much more um, kind of ubiquitous and ready to serve, you know, uh, users all over the country. So so I think that that's one of the key reasons that mobile money just didn't take at the aggressive uh, growth pace that it did in other countries. Though I, I think, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, six million um, uh, South Africans still don't have access to a fi- formal financial account. So I think there's still a lot of innovation to be had there and growth to be had. Um, it's just certainly not one of the uh, countries with the the highest financial exclusion rates, so it, it it hasn't been moving as fast as others have. No, most certainly, and I think six million is a huge number, mm-hmm. you know, especially just from uh, a population point of view, much larger than the population of I think Namibia, Botswana, Lesotho, Swaziland, you know, so really big opportunity, and I, I'd be interested to see how um, the the op- the mobile operators, you know, do take that challenge on. It seems MTN is more um, more bullish about that opportunity in South Africa. Uh, than uh, than Vodacom is Vodacom choosing for other financial services through the mobile phone as opposed to um, the Impesa type of offering that they have um, in the rest of the continent. So very keen to see how things develop from that front. Now, because we have you on the line and because we, you know, before we let you go, the other half of your title has to do with Agritech. Uh, very keen to understand the place um, of your mobile money platforms when it comes to, um, I guess, uh, agriculture. And and when I say place of, I'm very interested around, um, I guess, what, what are the applications? Like, uh, are farmers, you know, small-scale farmers, are they are they buying and selling, you know, produce using mobile money? Like, what type of applications have you seen? Absolutely. Um, we've worked with a number of partners across the continent in the agri-sector. And the, the way we're seeing mobile money um, serve smallholder farmers is very multifaceted. So one is digitization of payments. So in any other formal sector, you might consider this you know, wage payments. But for a smallholder farmer, it's about selling their produce. And so looking at ways in which agribusinesses can digitize the payments to smallholder farmers, they could be cooperative members, you know, depending on the structure and the value chain. Um, but that's one very kind of basic uh, use case. We've found that if we can sort of crack that and achieve that, then there's an opportunity to start to add on the ancillary services that mobile money can offer. So we're looking at um, agri-specific loan products, agri-specific credit products. Um, but, But the first kind of challenge and hurdle is to get a farmer using digital payments so that they can start to actually build a bit of that uh, economic idea is what we call it. So showing that transactional history, 
um, because they work in a sector that's you know very entrepreneurial and very informal, there can be a lack of historical records. And so starting to use the digital payments platform to build that history, transactional history, actually helps then to build in other services and use cases. Um, and we've seen great success in the agri-sector of like bundling a lot of services through mobile devices. And so that's inclusive of payments, that's inclusive of advisory support, um, you know, and trying to build that in so a farmer really has a lot of uh, value that they're getting out of their mobile phone. Um, you know, as you're talking, I'm just trying to put myself in the place of, you know, a small, a smallholder farmer. Um, I'm possibly in the middle of nowhere. I'm likely not using a smartphone, probably using USSD. And, you know, very, I can understand it from uh, a mobile payments and mobile wallets point of view. You know, that stuff is easy. I think the mobile operators have been very good at uh, creating interfaces that are easy to understand and you can simplify that entire process, send it through. But, you know, when it comes to some of the more complex types of, uh, I guess, applications and financial services, I'm thinking of insurance, um, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, th things like insurance. I just wonder um, how you go over the hurdle because you did say earlier on that uh, uh, a huge percentage of uh, mobile money transactions are still being done through USSD. We know that uh, smartphone penetration is still quite low in certain parts of the continent. So I'm just wondering, is it... Is it a chicken and egg thing? Is it about is it about getting more smartphones and smart devices into the hands of some of these smallholder farmers, or is it about you know finding ways to simplify uh, some of these offerings in ways that you know from a customer experience point of view you can still do it um, on uh, through USSD um, on a simple feature phone? Yeah, great question. I think a lot of the innovators in this space are you know they're recognizing where farmers are at and they're trying to meet them there right so smartphone penetration for rural uh, populations in low and middle income countries is very low and you know when we look at farmer farming populations this is very true so so innovators working in the insurance or credit space are really trying to meet the farmers where they're at it is still I would say, unlike digital payments, where mobile network operators, mobile money providers have been really successful in building that ecosystem without, you know, aside from having the agent infrastructure uh, being really strong, they haven't had to, to, you know, kind of make a lot of engagement with the user base. They use the agent as that, that kind of user uh, facing point of contact to support with uh, making digital payments. And it's not dissimilar. So for innovators looking at insurance using mobile money as an enabler of that, you know, they're looking at the farmer facing organization. So that could be themselves having agents out in the um, going out and visiting farms, visiting farmers, you know, in their local markets, et cetera. Or it could be through an agribusiness that works really closely with farmers and leveraging that close relationship to, you know, products, uh, build the capacity of farmers to engage with those products. And then mobile money becomes the enabler in the sense that they can make the transaction. But a lot of that capacitating them on the knowledge and skills, et cetera, has to be done in a, in a you know, farmer facing organization or, or way. 
Okay. Uh, so it will be interesting to see once again how that particular space develops, but at least it's great to hear that, you know, a lot of uh, the innovators are trying to meet um, the farmers where they are because, you know, that would be that would be interesting. Um, we've had a lot of platforms in places like South Africa. I think Kula comes to mind, um, you know, where people are trying to create these aggregated platforms where you can get, um, you know, produce from a whole bunch of farmers to fulfill you know really huge orders uh from some of the big retail chains and i wonder what the place of your mobile money platforms could be for things like that as we let you as we round up and end off ashley any any closing thoughts you know from yourself your outlook on mobile money as uh, you know anything that uh, when when we get the next uh, report from GSMA, some of the things that you expect, um, some of the themes rather that you expect will either be big, small, you know, how you think the space is going to develop. Yeah, I mean, I would say the one key thing that that I just keep batting my head around about is activity rates. So, you know, we're, we're really proud of the industry and its growth, reaching 1.6 billion accounts. But we still have 75% of those that are dormant on a monthly basis. And, you know, you and I touched on on the 1.4 billion who are unbanked around the world. But to me, the crux is that 1.2 billion that mobile network or mobile money providers rather have already, you know, captured. They've already got them on their platform. And so now it's like, what can we do as an industry to get them using it more often? Because for mobile money to be truly impactful, you know, someone has to see it as relevant and useful and improving their daily lives. And so I think that that 1.2 billion is really a number that we need to see, uh, that we need to address with diversification, building knowledge and skills of the user base. I you know, I would love to continue to see growth in the industry. What I would love is to see activity rates growing at a higher rate than than even registered accounts at this point, um, because then we would truly start to see people using it more frequently. All right, great. That is a, that is a, you know quite a great point. You know, one thing to get the people onto the platform, but quite another uh, to get people to actually, you know, actively use uh, the platform, you know, yeah. depending on what measurements people are using 30 days, 60 days, 90 days um, when it comes to that activity. So I guess that will be it because at some point we spoke earlier on about uh, the 800 million um, opportunity that's there you know we could even extend that to the 1.4 we capture all 1.4 we add that to the 1.6 that's there you've got your 3 billion people that are sitting with their mobile money accounts um and it would be great but it's it's quite it's, it's quite another challenge to actually make sure that people are using those uh, those particular platforms that they're actually transacting sending money and engaging in the in the world of payments uh through these various platforms so that's been it it has been a very it has been a very fascinating conversation. We were talking to um, Ashley Olson Onyango, who is uh, the head of financial inclusion and agritech over at uh, GSMA, giving us some insight into the state of uh, mobile money um, around the world, but with a particular focus uh, to the emerging market countries, because uh, that is where the opportunity really lies. Now, we actually began the conversation to say, uh, to actually and try to understand. 
uh, some of the dynamics that are at play that make uh, the market, uh, you know, the way that it is to say uh, that emerging markets are where we see those low levels of banking. And uh, that's where the opportunity lies. And at the moment, uh, one of the big things uh, that Ashley is looking out for going forward is to say it's one thing to have these accounts but let's make sure that people are actually using these accounts and that you push up those activity rates and inside that activity rates debate is the issue of um, regulation uh, because you know all of those things do work um, to either encourage or discourage people uh, from making use of these platforms because in a lot of areas on the continent there is still a lot of cost sensitivity uh, that uh, comes into play when it comes to um, you know mobile money and also we can never forget the duality um, of uh, the South African economy to say very developed financial services uh, but there's still a huge piece um, you know where where financial inclusion does need to be um, addressed six million uh, that is uh, the opportunity that has been identified by the GSMA Ashley thank you so much for being with us today you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.